Welcome to The Application, the go-to, how-to podcast for higher education marketers. I'm your host, Allison Tercio, Assistant Vice President of Enrollment and Marketing at Siena College. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, this podcast is packed with practical tips and actionable advice to help you elevate your marketing game. In each snackable episode, we bring in experts to share their insights and experience on the topics that matter most to you. Got a question or idea you'd like us to cover? Email team at enrollify.org or reach out to me on Twitter or LinkedIn. The application is part of the Enrollify Podcast Network. And if you like this show, you'll definitely want to check out our other higher ed focused podcasts on admissions, tech, marketing, and more. They're packed with stories, ideas, and tools to help you be the best in your field. All right, it's time for the show. On this episode, we're going to talk about the unsung hero of higher ed marketing, your.edu. Nothing else has quite so much opportunity at the same time as so much missed opportunity. Our guest is Ben Congleton, a seasoned tech entrepreneur, innovator, and thought leader in the field of workplace communication and collaboration. As the CEO and co-founder of Olark, a leading live chat and chatbot software company, Ben has played a pivotal role in revolutionizing customer support and improving online user experiences. Under his leadership, Olark has grown exponentially, serving thousands of organizations worldwide and earning a reputation for its user-friendly and accessible interface, as well as exceptional customer service. Hi, Ben, and welcome to the Application Podcast. I'm excited to be here. Before we get into our main topic of web optimization, there's something else I know our listeners are going to want to hear about. Olark and Enrollify just released the results of a survey on how higher ed marketers are allocating resources. Can you tell us a little bit about what you found out? Yeah, so um, I guess it's good to have a little bit of backstory on this. So uh, last year we were working with Enrollify a lot. We talked to a lot of higher ed marketers. Uh, you know, looks deployed on a lot of higher ed properties, and. Uh, we kept getting similar questions and, and we thought, you know, what would be really helpful is to go out there and run a survey and ask actual marketers in the field across, you know, junior, intermediate, senior folks, like what they wanted to, to know um, and, you know, how they were spending their budgets and give people this like view across, across what was going on in, in the higher ed industry. As an outsider, like I'm not, I'm not allocating higher ed budgets myself, um, but we're part of that budget often. Um, it was it was surprising to me how uniform the results were. So, for example, senior and intermediate uh, and and junior and your folks generally agreed in uh, both like private institution, public institution, etc. So there wasn't a lot of like variation in answers, which I think is interesting. But it also seems to me that there's probably a lot of opportunities to look at ways of standing out or thinking a little bit differently. For example, uh, many folks. Uh, regardless of what their, their top three strategy or goal was, uh, when they were looking at social, they used Instagram. They were like, we're going to allocate budget on Instagram as the major way of both boosting grad school enrollment, undergrad enrollment, alumni relations, et cetera. And, you know, there's many channels out there and there's uh, probably many opportunities to go look kind of outside that, like, hey, everyone's doing Instagram, we should do Instagram too. 
probably opportunities to sort of carve out niches in some of these other channels as well. Everyone's doing Instagram, but maybe there's opportunity to get an audience on TikTok or on Snapchat because everyone else is on Instagram, right? You got it. And it, and it's one of those things where it's like, okay, like this is the safe thing to do. Like no one ever gets fired yeah. for like buying IBM or something like that. If you're using Instagram, you're playing it safe, right? You're not going to run into problems. You can say you're using best practices, but one of the things I always like to say is that doing what everyone else is doing is not a strategy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that, that was definitely one takeaway. Another takeaway uh, was we also looked, uh, asked people about their self-perceived level of expertise. And uh, what is not too surprising um, is that uh, many folks were very confident, had a lot of expertise in like running in-person events, uh, doing traditional print and media buys. Uh, but, you know, reported weaker skill sets in website optimization, in things like digital ad buys and digital marketing and things like content strategy and, and SEO. And, and what's interesting to me is, as we imagine, you know, this, this enrollment cliff and as more competition arising in marketing universities, I would expect a greater move towards digital, which likely means that most folks are relying a lot on agencies to do work where they don't have a lot of in-house expertise. And it's often hard to hold that agency accountable without that in-house expertise. So I think there's, a, there's, there's definitely room for, for growth and leveling up and career development in, in digital and, and higher ed. I know one of the big concerns that you had was on that website optimization piece. Can you tell me a little bit about why that really stuck out to you? Yeah, it's interesting because you imagine... Uh, you know, what, what is the modern journey of a student applying for college look like today? Well, basically, they're receiving a lot of marketing messages across a lot of channels driving them towards your website, towards your admissions website, etc. So you can imagine all these resources spent at driving people towards websites. And yet the thing that you are driving people towards is the area in which you have the least expertise of optimizing. And, you know, I, I get it. Like websites are hard. There's a lot of stakeholders involved. There's a lot to to consider in that environment. But it's also an area where developing expertise and capacity, I think, makes a ton of sense in higher ed, especially when we imagine like a more competitive marketing environment. I don't think I've ever seen a survey about how students search for colleges or any kind of study about the college search process where the .edu wasn't the leading way that they searched and found their information. I mean, if it's not the leading, it's number two or three, right? So the students are telling us the .edu is absolutely crucial in their college search, but are we allocating the resources and are we upskilling yeah. to what's needed to have the best website possible and the best user experience possible for those students? And it sounds like the survey says, no, there's a, there's a gap there. For yeah, us. the survey definitely indicates that folks have definitely have the level of expertise they need for running in-person events, but like some big gaps in when we're talking about optimizing websites. Okay, well, we're going to help them with that today, right? That's the goal. We'll walk away with a couple of actions. So, so let's, let's start in on website optimization and how can higher ed institutions and their marketers optimize their websites to improve the user experience and increase engagement? Because that's really what it comes down to. I would start this, this sort of journey with, with saying, does your organization have leadership where you can actually set a prioritized list of goals for your website? Because I think, you know, this is the one place that we know touches 
all sorts of stakeholders across the entire institution. And so if you can't walk away from a meeting with an ordered list of priorities, it's going to be very, very hard to optimize because you can't optimize for multiple things at the same time well. Like, uh, like any constraint solving problem, uh, like you're, like the more constraints you have, the less optimal your solution will likely be. And, uh, and if you can agree on a one or two key goals that you're trying to accomplish with your website, uh, that's, that's, that's where I recommend starting because there's so many micro little optimizations you can do, but if you don't have uh, a goal that you're all agreed on, it's gonna be very, very hard to, to do tests, to make progress, to sort of move in a single direction. So that's, that's where I would start. Now I can continue. It looks like you're want to ask a question. <laughs> well, tell me, tell me some examples of the goals to consider specific for a higher ed website. So let's say that our goal is we want to increase uh, undergraduate applicants, right? That seems like a pretty reasonable goal. Like this is going to be the main goal of our website. This is the number one priority of the website. Um, we know there's many stakeholders that are going to be visiting this website, but this is the one goal we're trying to accomplish. Um, so let's 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 take that as an example. And okay, that's step one. We've agreed on the goal. We have a priority. Now, when we're putting things on the website, we can trade it off against that goal. Okay, step two, let's establish metrics and a basic funnel for what that process looks like. So you might look at your undergrad traffic to your undergraduate related content, right? You probably don't want to look at just your raw traffic, your website, because there's a lot of different folks that are visiting it. But let's, let's start with like, okay, we have undergraduate related content. How many, what's our unique traffic look like to that? Okay, we have unique traffic to our admissions and our RFI uh, request for information pages. Let's take a look at that. Um, let's let's take a look at the number of applicants, a number of RFIs completed, uh, and then let's track conversion through those steps. And and this stuff is like I, I would call it table stakes, but not everyone has these reports sitting in front of them or are looking at it when they've also agreed that this is the number one goal. So once you've established, okay, here's our funnel. Here's the conversion rates between various steps in this. You can dive into like really, really micro stuff, but I, I think high level, like I'm just trying to like, let's start high level, like funnel analytics, understand fall off between steps. And now that you've done that and you have some alignment around this, this goal being where you, what you're trying to accomplish, you can start focusing against different places of that funnel. Where do you want to put resources? What types of experiments do you want to run? When you run an experiment, you can see the result of that experiment on that metric you're trying to move. That's kind of where I recommend starting. And it's a, like a, a, a tactic that I always deploy when I'm doing these type of website optimizations is uh, you know identifying that piece of the funnel that you really care about and then deploying like live chat or a tool like live chat into that piece of the funnel so you can start talking to your users that are in that stage. Because I think a lot of us have ideas about what we need to do to optimize things and when you're in person, you can talk to people and like probe and gather information. When you're online, uh, you can look at your quantitative analysis, like your funnels and your numbers and your heat maps and your, there's so much quantitative analysis you can look at, but you don't actually know what's going inside of someone's head until you're talking to them. And so I would recommend, uh, you know, deploying uh, chat as a tool to get inside of that person's head, understand what the questions are, understand what the objections are. And then you can go back and run an experiment trying to move something against those objections at that particular stage. I want to quickly interrupt this conversation to invite you to join me at Element 451's Engage Summit on June 27th through 28th in Raleigh, North Carolina. When it comes to the student experience, 
We know that you want to be a trusted guide from recruiting to graduation. The Engage Summit by Element 451 brings the best minds in higher ed together to give you the strategy and tools to create a cohesive student experience from start to finish. Explore the latest technologies, increase your skill set, and gain insights into today's students so you can deliver the most personalized digital engagement experience every step of the way. This is not your standard ed tech user conference. This is a dynamic, inspiring, and empowering event for all higher ed marketers and admissions professionals. I'll be presenting at this event along with some of your favorite higher ed LinkedIn and Twitter follows. You can learn more about this event and register at engage.element451.com. Oh, and get $50 off your registration when you use the discount code and Rollify50 at checkout. See you there. You mentioned experimentation. Can you share an example of an experiment that you've seen with live chat or something else that's been able to move the needle? So uh, I can I can absolutely share some some experiments that people have tried. So uh, uh, keep in mind, like these are like general enrollment optimization rather than just like let's let's just let's just look at like the website or some particular metric. So the, the experiments that are that are easier to isolate, but like still aren't great because there are a lot of factors going on. So like for example, um, you know we worked with the University of Oregon. Uh, what they learned was that when students got all their housing sorted out, they're way more likely to attend. So they were doing some interventions in their housing system to uh, to add live chat there, to put RAs and other kind of their housing onboarding staff to, to be available just to make sure people got all their questions answered and uh, and improve the customer service of that portion of the funnel. What they saw, you know, again, many factors going into this, but they saw like much higher enrollment yield than they typically did. Um, when, when they did this process. So I, I think this was more of like a cross, like there were many factors, but you know, chat and insight and customer service was a piece of, of, of that, that strategy that they used to boost that enrollment yield. You mentioned, you know, hit, look at a goal and then map out that journey and what's the conversion rate at, at each points of mm-hmm. those journeys. Mm-hmm. Have you found that there's some common mistakes or let's frame it as common opportunities when it comes to boosting the conversion rate in uh, in a customer journey on a website, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think uh, this comes back to my like strategic thinking one hundred and one, which is like let's go agree what the goal is because I think you know most of the conversion drop off can almost be tied into like an alignment problem with what's going on mm. on the website. So let's just take this enrollment example. If we agree that the number one goal of our website is to have people. Really, there's like two options, right? Do we want them to sign up for a visit or do we want them to apply? Let's agree on which one of those things we're trying to optimize for, right? Because there's a lot of discussion around which one of those two things it should be, right? And so uh, you can try to make them both the same level CTAs, but I think a lot of folks may not even be so clear that their two goals are visit and application. And so I think if you can agree on what the, the overall goal is and you can line up your website towards accomplishing that goal, that alone will give you pretty good lifts. So you might like, let's just take the visit example. Let's say visit is our number one priority. We've agreed that this is the highest value thing we could do with our website. We might put a visit, uh, a visit link, right? Like in a easily visible way 
in our top nav in a different color that makes it pretty clear this is what we're trying to accomplish. We might ensure that above the fold on mobile, where that top menu is hidden with a hamburger menu most of the times, um, that there's an above the fold CTA that moves you in that direction. Um, and, and these would be like just some simple examples. But I think the thing that stops that from happening all the time is the is a top level alignment because someone might say, oh, there's like an alumni lunch coming up. Let's make sure that's highly featured on the website. And so, uh, so I think that's where people get a little bit of uh, start running into some challenges when they're trying to optimize against a goal. And what's funny to me about that is that when it comes to our advertising campaigns, that you know, not uh, not what we're doing on .edu, but when we're doing paid marketing, we are so clear on what our goal is and what we want the user to do. <laughs> Right. A lot of times, and I think it becomes easier, especially if you're running digital campaigns, right? You may run a digital campaign that takes you to a landing page that has one action you can do on it. Uh, and then people can do that action or not. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of stakeholders who are going to arrive on, on your .edu. They can have all sorts of different things. But I think if you can agree on what the t- number one thing you're trying to accomplish is. Now, uh, what I have seen uh, some tools be able to do, and this is more like B2B marketing, a little bit less inside of uh, what the higher ed folks have seen higher ed folks do, is use kind of like real-time personalization. So like when you hit the page, you can use some, you know, you can buy data basically and and have the page sort of optimize a little bit based on some demographic information, some segment information. So you can kind of like, okay, like this person is of, you know, certain, they're a certain age group. Let's assume they're either a parent or they are like, an alumni, right? So you can start making those assumptions. But I still think that like, this starts with like, hey, let's not like rely on magic. Let's just pick a goal. This is our number one goal. This is what we're going to optimize against. These are secondary goals. We're also going to optimize against them. We're going to understand the steps in the funnel for each of these goals. But like, ultimately, someone has to make some decisions along the way in order to like, uh, just say like, this is more important right now. And and if you want to optimize on the web. Um, Additionally, right, like let's say we're going this direction. We've agreed on our goals. We have our metrics. Um, we talked about experiments. Live chat's an experiment I like to run. Another experiment you might want to run would be like changing some headlines, changing some messaging, changing some flows. I think uh, when those metrics are in place, now you can start running A-B tests in, a, in an effective way. And an A-B test is a great way of eliminating like armchair quarterbacking <laughs> and discussion and just say, look, we're going to run a test. And we're going to find out what the result is. Because another thing that I think can highly hinder uh, optimization is the lack of folks wanting to make a decision or to put themselves out there or the fear of being wrong. And so I think uh, A-B testing is a pretty good way of doing that. Another tool that has been really helpful for me personally is there's this guy named Brian Balfour. He basically ran growth for HubSpot in early days. HubSpot's a really big B2B CRM. And he has this sort of online learning thing called Reforge, where he tries to charge people a ton of money to learn his techniques. But if you dig around in there, there's some blog posts on uh, experiment frameworks. And so I think having a good experiment framework means that when you're running these experiments, you have rigor and you have uh, the ability to predict the outcome you're hoping to achieve and then test yourself against that predicted outcome. And you can use the same idea when you're running a campaign. But I think like, the idea is like as a marketing team, as a growth team, you should be getting better at predicting outcomes and achieving them. And if you're not going to get any better at prediction, if you don't 
force yourself to put down a number or a goal or something before you run an experiment. And then you can hold yourself accountable. Like, oh, did it do way better than I thought? Did it do way worse than I thought? This kind of thing. Well, we're definitely on our way to defining some of those skills in that gap that we need to develop. Because I'm hearing you say we need a real, really good strategic thinking on defining those goals. Yeah. We need collaborative leadership to get people to buy into what those goals should be for the website. And then this idea of being able to run really sound experimentation on the .edu is, is perhaps not something that we were taught if we, if we went to undergraduate years ago studying marketing, right? These are, these are new concepts for all of us. And, I, and I'm, it makes me wonder if the reason our allocations are the way they are. Are we relying on things that are familiar to us, things we feel most comfortable with um, versus what is going to move the needle? I come from a very sort of data-driven perspective. So I think like it's really important to have those mergings of both, right? Like I think you need, you need folks that are able to make decisions with incomplete information and to like try stuff out. And the same time when you're talking digital, you have the ability to make decisions using data that were, were in the past like quite hard to do. And I think that the folks that I know who are very successful at website optimization are, are it's a combination, you know, it's, it's part art, and it's part science, but you can't ignore the science elements of it. I don't want to leave this conversation before we talk a little bit more about live chat. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about how and why live chat can be such a key piece to that optimization aspect to our websites. The best way of looking at it is why is there anyone in stores at all? Like why do you, why is there human beings in stores? And it's because like in many cases, folks have questions before they take action. Like if you're, you know, shopping at REI or you're, you're shopping around in, in many cases, like if, if you're making considered purchase, you often want to build trust with the person on the other end of it. And when you have a website, there's typically just no one there, right? It's, it's just like a brochure. It's like a mailer, right? You can browse around that mailer, but like if there's information lacking in that mailer, you can maybe go back to Google and search for it. But there's, there's value in having that human relationship with people, especially at a high consideration purchase, like. Uh, choosing, you know, the next four years of your life. Broadly, I think that's where chat helps out. But I think more specifically tied back to website optimization as marketers, we often lack information about what's happening inside of these processes, whether we've just run this big, big digital campaign and we're just looking at numbers or we are like exploring this funnel process we just talked about. And I think that it behooves us to build some consensus inside our organization to find staffing to spend a little bit of time there and run some experiments and get in there and, and you know, like understand the folks that are on our admission site, but maybe not submitting RFIs. Cause we know when we look at our analytics, there's a lot of people who don't do that. Let's try to understand what's going on there a little bit more rather than just, you know, throwing stuff at the wall. So I, I, I really look at live chat as a, from a website optimization standpoint as like a, here's a great tool to start having conversations with people that are like in the process that I'm trying to optimize so that I can understand how to optimize that process. And then secondarily, sometimes chat can be worth it to go optimize that process. So for example, like we talked about Oregon and their housing process, like we have, you know, many universities using us in, in admissions, but for example, like, uh, you know, pre-application, pre-RFI, just 
you know, in many cases, there are some blockers, some objections, some questions that people have before they fill out those forms. And, you know, depending on your economics, like it can make sense to invest, you know, your welcome center there, your uh, admissions staff there. You know, every applicant has a has a value to you. Those are all things we all want, <laughs> right? We we all want to build trust with our audience. We want to be able to keep a human approach in in how we're marketing, or at least I hope that's all, what we're all doing. Everyone, um, we want qualitative data that tells us what our audience is thinking and and what their process is like, and we want to be student centered, right? So. So why are we not all doing live chat? <laughs> well, I think it's a, I think it's a really interesting question. I've seen, for example, there are uh, some pushes to just do pure bots, right? So um, the the idea that like I can just put a bot here and it will replace that human interaction. And oftentimes, I would say folks aren't even looking at what the conversations the bot is having; they're just knowing that that is out there existing. And so it's not really seen as like an insight machine. It's seen as more of like, oh, this will reduce our customer service costs. So I think there is a, kind of the operational idea like, oh, I can just put this thing here and it will reduce operational costs. Let's ignore the insights. I think part of the reason that higher marketers may not be looking at live chat as a channel ties back to some of these expertise questions, ties back to the fact that, you know, the areas where most hired marketers are most comfortable is in traditional marketing in-person marketing, not as much in website optimization, not as much in kind of uh, kind of the e-commerce optimization. So you could imagine, like, if you were to look at e-commerce 10 years ago, you would see, well, how come, how come there's not live chat on any of these e-commerce websites? And where is chat being used? It was mostly being used in customer service for, like, Comcast, right? And then over time, because it was a, cost, it was a way of reducing costs. But over time, and what we've noticed is that most e-commerce sites now have live chat on them. And uh, most places where you're making considered sale will have like reasonably educated staff involved. So if you were to look at like maybe like the first adopters of live chat, it's been like the online, like online learning centers. These are the people that have adopted live chat just right off the bat because they, a lot of their marketing teams came from other digital marketing, uh, the other digital marketing world. And they just knew, okay, hey, like talking to my prospects, talking to my prospective students, answering their questions. Uh, works. Um, and I think that in higher ed, broadly, there's more hesitancy. Where's the staffing going to come from? Who's going to who's going to do this? What if there's a problem? Uh, Etc. And, and a little bit less of like, a, hey, let's run an experiment. Let's see what happens. Mindset. Um, I, I have found that like, most of the universities that we work with, you know, have a champion inside their organization that says something like, hey, my generation is not picking up the phone anymore. And we're not sending email anymore. Why can't I chat on our website when I have a question about my housing? Why can't I chat when I have a question about my admissions? And it takes a champion like that to kind of move things up through the organization to get something to happen. And then sometimes you get like, I would call it uh, long-term strategic thinking VP of enrollment, who can just look at the world and say like, you know what? Our traditional channels of communication are not the same as they were 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago. We need to meet our students and our faculty and our staff where they are. Let's let's start adopting some tech like this. 
Well, because it's not just marketers it would be really new for, right? It's the admissions team, perhaps the financial aid team, you know, it really runs the gamut. And if you're doing it on the front end, you really, you're creating an expectation that as a current student, you're going to be able to get your questions answered this way too, and, and be able to navigate your student experience this way, don't you think? It may not be quite as important to the organization to hit that like right off the get-go, if that makes any sense. I think that from an organization standpoint, uh, the thing that will probably retain students more than anything else is like the relationships they make inside the organ- inside the institution, their friends, their coursework, their uh, perception of success, and a little bit less about like whether they can chat to IT with a question. But I do think that like uh, operationally, it's a great efficiency gain for the organization to be able to especially when you have folks that are wanting to work remote or folks that are like not wanting to come into their office as much and still provide a high level of service. Like for example, uh, Berkeley is one of our customers and Berkeley uses Olark inside their ed tech department, which means that if, you know, if a, if a staff or faculty or student is, how, is like, you know, setting up their, their IT inside their, their classroom, they need help. They can you know, ask questions over Olark. Um, and so, and they also use it for HR as well. So if like you have a staff question. So I think like there's a definite operational benefit of using chat all over the place. But I think that there's like some really good strategic benefits of using it inside of marketing. And I think that the the key thing that I think is important to think about is like the strategic use of it as a communication tool, as opposed to like, hey, we just need this thing. It's more like, how do we use this to help accomplish the goal that we set ourselves, that we agreed on, was one of our top goals at the beginning. And then what are we looking to accomplish from that? What will success look like, et cetera? And, and, I, and I understand that, like, uh, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of, like, you know, everyone is at a very stage of marketing maturity or operations and data maturity. I think the neat thing about chat is you can deploy it before you're, before you're at some of those maturity levels and you can kind of plug it in. So for example, I was talking to someone who was uh, in the middle of a big Salesforce CRM integration. And obviously this is like a, you know, vision creation moment in their organization because you have a lot of stakeholders coming in, you're designing business processes, you're thinking about the stuff. That process we all know is going to take years and it sometimes isn't successful. So if you predicate this let's say chat on that migration happening, you're, it's going to be three years before you know yeah. whether you can, like what's happening with the students inside the funnel that are like not on your admissions page that probably has absolutely nothing to do with whether you have a CRM or not. Like it's like CRMs are great for internal operational improvements. They're great for modeling funnels. They're great for all sorts of great reporting. But I think intuitively we know that the, the, I don't know, like the basic principles we're talking about, like the, the first principles of the situation is um, we're trying to build trust. Folks have questions. Uh, it's a very cons- high consideration decision. And if we can be there to help build those relationships early on and turn them into deep relationships, we can provide a great service to people. And I think that's, you know, marketing is about doing that at scale and making decisions about where we strategic- should strategically allocate resources along that journey. Uh, and, and building, uh, and a lot of higher ed marketing is, is about building strong relationships with your like fellow stakeholders, like your director of admissions, your 
VPs, getting people to sort of buy into this, this idea that, hey, you know, the welcome center, the housing process, like these are all things that feed into that enrollment yield picture. And I think that if we work together on this, we can make, we can move some numbers and let's start by looking at the numbers and pick the pieces where we want to focus. Ben, I'm pretty sure we circled around back to what my first question was, which was all about user experience and engagement. So we ended up back there, whether whether that's where you wanted to be or not. <laughs> I mean, I think it all comes back to that. But I've seen, but if you but you when you talk about user experience and engagement without setting the goal, yeah, and you make your goal user experience and engagement, it's so hard to make decisions. <laughs> So is that the one thing you want everyone listening to take away from this conversation? You've got to start with the goal. Yeah, get alignment on a goal. If you if you don't if you can't get alignment on a goal, everything else is going to be so hard and we know it's so hard in many cases, but like an ordered list, this is number 1, this is number 2 because if you can come back to that when making some of these other decisions down the line, your life will be so much easier. The second takeaway I probably would have is that getting metrics in place against that goal is a great place to start because without metrics, you really have no idea whether you're making progress or not. And then from that, I would say testing is a really good way to unblock. Chatbox can be a great way of digging into the funnel to learn more about what's going on, uh, deploy them strategically. And that, you know, the web and in-person are not really that different. I mean, we're really just trying to build relationships and create trust and uh, and I think if we look at that through everything through that lens against that goal, uh, it gives us pretty good guidance when we're making decisions. We can't let it just be an online brochure. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Ben, thanks for joining me. This is super fun, Allison. Thank you so much. If you found this information valuable, please subscribe to the podcast and share this episode with a friend or colleague, maybe one that you want to talk to about setting goals for your website who might find this useful. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify podcast network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcast.enrollify.org.